a gospel worker we'll just call Dr. Sasson, has observed Iranian Christians rejoice while suffering for the gospel. For some mysterious reason, which has been going on <laughs> ever since the book of Acts, persecution allows people to see the reality of the presence of Christ in the midst of their struggle. Christ meets them and comforts them and gives them courage and hope. So they learn to trust God more. They learn the power of Christ to forgive their enemies, to bless those who are cursing them and persecuting them. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are going to talk today about training leaders in a persecuted nation. We're going to talk about training up church leaders in the nation of Iran, and I am joined by Dr. Merdad and Dr. Sassan. They are leaders at Pars Theological Center, which is training up leaders for the Iranian church. They are folks that we're going to use a first name because they're working in a restricted nation. So Dr. Murdad, Dr. Sassan, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd, for having us. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about what God is doing in Iran. And one of the things for our listeners to know is that Voice of the Martyrs is a part of this project. We're helping to fund this training. So this is something that VOM is involved in as well. Let's talk about the need for leadership. Uh, many of our listeners, if they've followed what's going on in Iran, they know the church is growing. They know a lot of people are coming to Christ. Why is it so important to train leaders? Yes, as you just mentioned, there is a tremendous growth in the church in Iran, and all churches are just mushrooming everywhere. And as a result of this fast growth, people who are you know, very new in their faith, find themselves in a position of leadership without having any proper training in, uh, you know, leading or pastoring or teaching the Bible. So because of this fast growth, there is a tremendous need. There is a big need for leaders who can be trained in the Bible, in, in Christian truth, so that they can uh, lead these newly found house churches that are just spreading all over Iran. So without these properly trained leaders, we cannot make sure that the church would grow in depth as well as in width. And uh, we cannot really make sure that those who come to Christ with such enthusiasm would continue in their faith and would grow in their faith. And so into that need, obviously there's a need for leaders. How is PARS meeting that need? What is the process to bring someone from, hey, I'm a believer, I'm involved in a local church, I think God might be calling me into a leadership role. What do you guys do to help prepare them for that? A number of elements that we use to bring theological education and leadership development to the house church movement in Iran. We produce programs in our offices in London. We record all the programs. So all the courses we produce, they are available online 
for online distance education. A lot of our courses, the lectures, are also being aired by satellite TV, Iranian Christian satellite TV into Iran, and also through conferences and seminars that Iranian students can participate. And then there are other elements I will let uh, Dr. Mehta talk about, but it's a multifaceted approach to education, and it's not just transferring content and information. We are very emphatic about spiritual formation, about character development, about mentoring process in Christian discipleship, about people staying in their context of ministry, not, not leaving their context for long periods of time. So we, we approach it from a very holistic, transformational, multifaceted approach, the idea of education and leadership development. Dr. Mehta, do you want to elaborate more on various aspects? Yes, we uh, try to partner with, with churches, with, with network of churches who are actually active inside the country, and we try to get students, get those who are actually serving the house churches to enroll in our studies so we don't just go and and pick up anybody that comes to us but we just identify those who are not only good candidates for leadership but those who are actually now involved in serving the church in different capacities and uh, they are recommended to us and we start training them and they just continue to keep in touch with us through emails, through the internet. And as Sasan mentioned, we are using different methods, the multi-dimensional method to really bring this education and bring this teaching to these people. How dangerous is it for them <laughs> to, to be involved in a pastoral training program while living and working in a country where Christians get arrested, they get sent to jail? There is danger, and a number of students, of our students, have been arrested, have been in prison. Some of them have had to leave Iran because of the persecution. But I want to point out the persecution is not because they're involved in theological education. The persecution is because, is because they're involved in ministry in Iran. Uh, they were already involved in ministry. The danger and the challenges comes with being part of the house church movement as a leader, as an active Christian member. So we don't believe that the theological education aspect is creating extra danger. Of course, we are trying to be very cautious about all the security guidelines and in terms of communication with people inside the country and all that stuff. But the challenges they face is because they are Christians faithfully ministering inside Iran. And in, in your work there, have you noticed some characteristics that people who deal with persecution successfully have that maybe people who are defeated by persecution don't have? Is there something that you could say, well, this quality or this particular truth or training really is a key part of enduring persecution in a victorious way? I was in a class where I have taught the biblical theological component of persecution. We have used a number of fantastic resources written by Western scholars and writers, translated them into Farsi. So we have great teaching resources. And I was in a class where actually students were taught by another professor about the practical realities, the legal, the logistic, the practical realities. And I noticed that that class really empowered our students who were in that class from Iran. It gave them hope. It gave them resilience. When you empower people, when you give them knowledge about 
preparedness. You got to prepare for persecution. I mean, a lot of times maybe Americans think, well, Iranian believers are automatically ready for persecution and prepared. That's not the case. So to teach and help people to even prepare for persecution is a big step in the right direction. Teaching them to know your rights, to be prepared about your emotional situation when they come after you, to know about your legal rights, to know about how to respond to the charges against you, how to keep hope alive in a, in a solitary confinement in prison, along with the spiritual disciplines and biblical knowledge. So I have, I have seen how people were transformed in a class when they were empowered by that knowledge, by that information. And then it really helps the church in Iran when they know that their brothers and sisters outside of Iran are praying for them, are advocating for them. They are not forgotten, that they are, they are cared for and loved by the church around the world. That's another huge aspect of giving hope to the persecuted church. Yes, one of the things that Sasan actually mentioned is that the very sense of belonging to a group that is studying together, that is being prepared together to serve, we feel that every time that we see these students, see these leaders, the fact that they see that they belong to a group, that they know, that they respect, that they see that others are thinking of them, even if something happens, there are a Sasan, there is a Merda, there is a, uh, I don't know, Edward, that would pray for them, that would care for them. I think this really uh, helps very much for them to, you know, have the attitude, the positive attitude, the hope to continue uh, regardless of the persecution. What's the biggest challenge or maybe the hardest lesson for your students, these Iranian church leaders, to get a hold of? What's one of the things that, that they struggle to, to overcome or to grasp? I mean, depending on what aspect of the training you think of, I mean, one of the things that I can mention is more a kind of maybe um, technical side of thing, but that is, that is one of the things that we are struggling with all the time is to have the, the communication line open in a secure way for our tutors and teachers to be regularly in touch with these students because our course is a kind of interactive course. It's not just throwing at them a textbook and just leave them to study it. So this, this whole business of being able to connect with our students, I think maybe the greatest challenge that we have, and obviously we are trying to see how technology can help us overcome this problem. Yeah, the challenges are many, depending on which, which angle you are, you, know, you are discussing it. So one of the big challenges is the lack of resources in theological education itself, you know, resources in understanding the Bible, the theology, and tools for engaging the text of the scriptures. That's, that's one challenge. Another challenge, and that's a cultural challenge, is because of the history of Iran and the realities of the oppression of the current situation in Iran, it's very hard for Iranians to be able to do a group activity successfully, whether it's a church, whether it's a sport, whether it's friendships, so tensions in interpersonal relationships because of fear, lack of trust. The person who's come to your house church, is that person going to be an agent for the government? So that creates a lot of uncertainty and fear, plus our own cultural baggage of, of shame and honor themes in our culture, so you don't feel like 
the church can be a place where you can be safe and you can be authentic and honest about your struggles and brokenness. So in interpersonal relationships, in doing teamwork, the church faces a big challenge. And again, the very reality that we, we hear that the, the government is really cracking down on, on the Christian movement. A week doesn't go by that we hear reports about more people being arrested. So how do you gather together as the body of Christ with all that oppression and persecution? So the challenges are many. You raise an interesting point because obviously a part of this is theological education, understanding the scripture, understanding you know how to prepare a sermon, those types of things. But there's another part of this that is how to avoid being arrested. How do you train the pastors? And I think particularly of new people, because I've talked to other Iranian Christians that are like, nobody comes to church unless we've known them for a year. We've talked to them repeatedly. We don't just say, hey, come come join us on Sunday. This will be great. Is that a part of your coursework? The, for lack of a better term, simply security or secrecy? How do you train people in that? And do they, I'm assuming that that would be a very popular class because they want to understand that. Yes, because we work with different groups belonging to different kind of networks and they have their own inner kind of protocol and the way they deal with security issues. And it's interesting to us also. I mean, yeah, it's actually something that we learn from them because obviously we are ourselves outside the country and it's them that actually come and bring this experience to us. And when we look at the different groups, we clearly see that some groups are maybe more experienced. Some groups have much uh, stricter security measures. Yes, certainly that is one of the important issues that uh, we discuss, we share the information, the experience. Now uh, we are also working on on courses, you know, to to deal with these issues. But most of it is sort of shared in a kind of informal conversation. And when we learn from a group how they are dealing successfully with these issues, we can of course bring bring it to 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 other groups that may be less experienced in And I think that's one of the exciting parts of your work is you become a clearinghouse for the best practices within security and how do we deal with cell phones and what do we do and how does this work and bringing new people in. I I think for American Christians, it's almost impossible for us to fathom because our typical evangelism method is, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Iranian house church Christians would never meet a stranger and say, hey, why don't you come to church? That would be the worst thing they could do. So how does evangelism work in that environment where it's, it's not come to church with me, it's what? Well, I think persecution is forcing the church to be more faithful to the New Testament model. You go into the people. You go into the world. We are salt and light where Jesus is sending us. So first of all, God is using modern technology in a significant way. So satellite TV programs that are aired into Iran. So for example, I just want to have a realistic scenario. So a person sees a program, is touched by the message of the gospel. They contact the ministries outside of Iran. Those ministries, after spending some time with a, with a view, viewer over the phone, they can give their name to a, to a believer in Iran. The believer meets with that person individually 
for an extended period of time, maybe sitting around in a coffee shop or going for walking in the park. And then if they feel like that person is trustworthy and really is a genuine person that wants to grow, then that person is invited into a, into a home fellowship or a house church. So the process is a lengthy one, hopefully for most people, so that because we have to be careful about the crackdown by security agents. So because the crackdown is increasing in its tempo, in its intensity, so a lot of times the, the house groups that are formed are just among family relationships or friendships or neighbors, people who already know each other, who already have a relationship with each other, as they are witnessing to their relatives, family members, neighbors, co-workers, then they invite them to come to church. So it's not just a stranger on the street that is approached. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Merdad and Dr. Sassan. They are from Pars Theological Center, training church leaders for the nation of Iran. Um, how is VOM involved in the work that you're doing? Yes, VOM is one of our major supporters that uh, help us prepare these courses, help us prepare these video material, lectures, and help us actually tr do this training. I mean, without receiving help from VOM and organizations like VOM, we will not be able to really do what we are doing. So yes, we are, we are very grateful to VOM for all the help that they are giving us. Dr. Sasan, you mentioned that the, the blessing of persecution, it's driving the Iranian church to be like the New Testament church. What are some of the other benefits that you see and this is, again, a hard message for American Christians, but persecution does produce some good fruit. What are some of the other good things about being a church in a place where it's illegal to be a church? There are also bad results. Right. We don't want to exactly. dismiss that. But, but since you've asked the question about the positive results, every time we have Western Christians, American Christians, come meet with Iranian believers, that's been my experience over many years, the American believers are absolutely amazed with the joy, the courage, the hope that Iranian Christians have in their lives. Because for some, some, re for some mysterious reason, which has been going on <laughs> ever since the book of Acts, persecution allows people to see the reality of the presence of Christ in the midst of their struggle. Christ meets them and comforts them and gives them courage and hope. So they learn to trust God more. They learn the power of Christ to forgive their enemies, to bless those who are cursing them and persecuting them. Jesus did say, blessed are you. And they received that blessing in terms of more empowerment to live by faith, more empowerment to see Christ meet them where they are. I've had friends who have been healed from deep personal wounds, psychological wounds in their own personal life in prison because they were met by Christ in solitary confinement. That's one side of persecution. You experience God in a more real way. You, do, you can't trust your lawyers like in America. <laughs> you don't have lawyers to call. So Jesus has to come to your rescue. And so you learn to trust Jesus in a deeper way. So it creates resilience, perseverance. That uh, Those are some of the beautiful fruit of the Spirit uh, as a result of persecution. And I, having been one of those American Christians that has gone over and met Iranian Christians and Christians in other nations, that joy, that's the number one thing I would point to. They have such an excitement about serving the Lord, and it, I don't always see that in my church on Sunday, and I wish I did, 
But that joy is just amazing thing. Dr. Murdad, what would you say to that question? Yes, I think Sasan said the main issue. I mean, when I have fellowship with these brothers and sisters who are arguing through these persecutions, I see how much more real God is for them. How much more real is their relationship with this God? This God for them is not, uh, you know, is is this real person that they experience when they are at, you know, the, maybe one of the darkest times in their lives. So I think I, I agree with Sasan that the reality of God is much more clear in when, when you find yourself in a situation that your only refuge is God and you have to just just put everything into his hand and just completely submit to him. I think that's the greatest, greatest benefit, regardless of, okay, how, how in God's sovereignty this, this situation is going to really resolve, but, but the very fact that someone can just completely and fully submit to God's will and put all his, his faith and trust in God's love and wisdom, that's, I think, something that you, you can learn as you go through the the experience. It's not something theoretical that can be uh, taught. It's something that you have to be there and, and experience God in that way. How would your training differ for these Iranian pastors than what we might see for an American pastor? Are there some, other than obviously the security and the technology and just the, the function of delivering the message and getting messages back from them, are there different areas of emphasis? Are there different topics that maybe wouldn't be covered in an American seminary, but you feel are very important for the Iranian church? I think what, what we want to do for these leaders, first of all, I think, uh, though this is something that I believe is important for, you know, for American leaders also, we want to bring to them a holistic you know, education. We believe that it's not enough for them just to know about the Bible and about the Christian theology. We believe that in order to really lead, in order for them to be good leaders for this fast-growing church, uh, is for them to really be shaped into the image of Christ. We want them to grow in their cognitive side, in their affective side, in their behavioral side of, you know, ministry. So, that is a major emphasis in our teaching and training. Another thing that I can say which relates to this is that in order to do that, we have to deal with the cultural baggage, with the religious baggage that they bring. So uh, Iranians are different from Americans. I mean, we can't just deal with them in the same way that uh, an American can be trained. So uh, we are carefully looking at the specific areas of weakness or challenge of uh, in the character issues that we know that we as Iranians are weak in those areas, like Iran is an honor-shame kind of culture that brings to it a lot of things that maybe are, are, are not so much important in an American context. I mean, in the area of conflict resolution, this is a big issue. I know that I mean, people get into conflict in everywhere, yeah. but in, in, in the Iranian context, this is a, a, a major area of need. Iranians can't work together so much 
because of these conflicts, because an oversensitivity that is the result of a kind of chronic shame that is rooted in their history and is rooted in their historical experience, that very, very uh, elementary things can cause a conflict and complete separation. So these are the areas of need that Parsi is trying to address and to really think through how are we going to help these leaders to overcome these challenges. I am a big fan of the importance of the global church to connect with each other. So as a teacher, almost most of the materials I use to teach from, the books we use, are written by American Christians, Western Christians. So the importance of translating theological texts is a, is a top priority for us with the hope that one day we will start writing our own texts and do our own theology. But for right now, we, we receive a lot of help. But we might be using a lot of similar textbooks in our training programs, but the emphasis on transformational teaching not just content and information for head knowledge, but transformational teaching, emphasis on practical ministry, on the mentoring process, on learning on the job. You've got to be involved in church ministry as you are doing the, you know, engage in the learning process. So, and then with the specific issues of Iranian context. So that's what makes our educational program different than a, than a typical you know, evangelical seminary or Bible college in America. And plus, as we've already talked about, we actually have a course called Theology of Persecution. Not a lot of Bible colleges or seminaries have a course like that. Those are kind of the uniqueness that we are working with in our program. It's interesting that you mentioned a course on persecution. Richard Wormbrand, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, that was one of his goals, was to get American seminaries to teach on persecution. The, the Bible talks about it, so it seems like the seminaries ought to talk about it too. Dr. Sasan and Dr. Mardad, as we finish up, we always want to equip our listeners to pray. And so I would like you to share ways we can pray for PARS and for the ministry that you're doing, but also for the church in Iran as a whole. How can we lift up our brothers and sisters there and, and pray for them? For the church in Iran, pray that the church would not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of boldness, wisdom, and courage, and humility to proclaim the gospel. Many times Christians are now afraid of evangelism because of the intense crackdown on the house church movement. So pray for God's protection of Christians who are arrested, the negative impacts of persecution on family on the displacement that they face as a result of the persecution. Pray for the hurting people in the Church of Iran. So that would be my, my big prayer need for the Church in Iran. I think the same for our students. I think our students are constantly in, in danger of being arrested. They are taken for interrogation and these kind of things. And I think for the protection of our students and for their peace of mind, that they can really concentrate on their studies, I think that is the most important need. But of course, another area of need that we really would like some prayer is we need more teachers, we need more tutors to, to join our team. Uh, so that is also a, a big need, more people to get involved into our work. Dr. Sasan and Dr. Murdad, thank you for being our guests this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We will pray for Iran. Our listeners will pray for you and for the work you're doing and for our brothers and sisters in that nation. So thank you very much for being with us this week. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dr. Sasson and Dr. Merdad for being our guests this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And thank you for listening. We want to try something new here at VOM Radio. I want to give you the microphone and let you ask the questions. So if you have a question for me or for someone else here at VOM, this is your chance. There are two ways to ask your question. The best way is by phone because then we can play it right on the air. Call us at 1-800-757-5069. Again, that toll-free number is 1-800-757-5069. The other way you can ask your question is to email it to us. Just send your question to radio at vom.org. That address again, radio at vom.org. If you have a question about VOM's work or some particular restricted nation, or if there's something you'd like us to ask a persecuted Christian, this is your chance. Again, call in and record your question at 1-800-757-5069 or email us radio at vom.org. We're going to work on that episode with your questions and answers for early in 2017. Come back next week to hear more of what God is doing in hostile and restricted nations around the world right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.